Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chef Matt Weinberg. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to describe Matt as a jack-of-all-trades, incredibly impressive. So to start, personally, Matt and I went to high school together. And at that time, you were a child actor. And you were a real child actor. You weren't like in a few commercials. You were in The Hot Chick. You were in X-Men. You were in Friends, most importantly. Then post-college, you went to USC. You ended up being on the entertainment side, but on the other side of things, right? So behind the scenes. You were at an agency and then you were at Paramount in the Department of Future, which I can gather is probably VR. Immersive media. Immersive media. Okay. So totally different side of things. And from what I briefly understand and we'll get into, you enjoyed that. I did. And you were pretty good at it. Not bad. Yeah. (laughs) And then suddenly now you are a chef. And not only are you a chef, but you're the head chef at one of LA's most iconic restaurants and helped open... Angelini Osteria's Palisades West Side Outpost. So Annabelle and I, you've been on my list for a long time. I, my family is a big fan of Angelini. We go all the time. My dad's a big fan of your cooking, as am I. And we, for a long time, have wanted you on because you're like the picture of, honestly, what I wish I could do, right? Like, I wish I could just be really malleable and be like, I'm going to switch. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You make it seem really easy. We want to hear everything get into your head. And thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, I think the identity piece is just a very fascinating part for both Jasmine and I and for a lot of our listeners, people our age, like going through it. When you have one identity, say it be, you know, you have your own company or you're an exec in an entertainment place or whatever it is, a lot of people find it really difficult to shift. And even though they're not fulfilled in that anymore, they like tie on to it and they're like attaching to the identity. And when looking at your career, you've been able to have so many different ones and not just like, you know, you're an accountant and then, you know, maybe you're in finance. No, you've went like polar opposites. Like what goes further from like a child actor to like a top chef? Right. So that's what we'd really love to explore with you because I think it's a topic that's, you know, core to a lot of people. So before we start, we always like to ask what your definition of fulfillment is or what your definition of success is and if they're related at all. Sure. Well, thank you guys again for having me. I so appreciate you having me on. To get started, I would say in short, fulfillment to me is being able to do something that makes you happy doing something that makes you happy, not just when you have milestones, but things that you enjoy in the day-to-day, the in and out, doing something that enriches your life and also in turn allows you to kind of give back and enrich the lives of others and to develop meaningful relationships and deep connections and grow and learn. And I think at a high level, that's kind of what comes to mind to me when it comes to fulfillment and success. And they're definitely intertwined. 
you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about the way people think about success from certain metrics that are, you know, financial or, or otherwise certain categories. But I sometimes think the one of being happy every day with what you do kind of is missing. I love it. Do you feel fulfilled right now? I do. And has that shifted? Has it been consistent fulfillment or has it really like shifted? I think the consistency in the fulfillment that I have is absolutely at a much larger scale. And I've been fulfilled at other times in the other careers that I've had for sure. But there's this feeling of kind of a clicking that it just kind of makes sense, a comfortability with it. I will say that the experience I've had, what I've learned also is a lot of it is is how you look at it. So for me, I recognize that just because I'm doing something that I, I really love and seem to have a knack for doesn't mean that it's not going to be still stressful, that I'm not going to face challenges, things I can't anticipate, have to you know react. But how I kind of know that I'm more fulfilled is that I feel more prepared and at ease dealing with those things. You know, being the chef of a high-end restaurant is definitely not like a walk in the park and opening the restaurant, it'll be a year and about two and a half weeks has been a crazy ride, but I feel like we're just getting started. And, you know, I know there's more to build on from here. So to like backtrack a bit, do you feel like you're saying that like when things feel easeful and you feel like in your magic, even though that they could be hard, like your job right now, you feel more in fulfillment? Yeah. I think that like, I am more easily able to embrace those challenges as part of it that I recognize that, you know, this is what I signed up for and I love it. And I'm not trying to avoid them. I'm not unhappy dealing with things that come across that I wasn't anticipating. I just feel like it, it's part of it and I, and I love it. Would you call that flow? Like being in flow or something? Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I think that, you know, what I've learned is my first like executive chef job at this level is there's so many other components than I could have imagined. The cooking is like, to me, the part that's really, really natural, but there's managerial responsibilities, administrative responsibilities, dealing with, you know, inventory and food costs. And for the back of the house, I have a staff of 25 people who come with their own, you know, they come from different walks of life. They have their, their own lives. And there's this whole living organism that I have to um, basically be in charge of. So I think being able to be malleable and have a flow and roll with what happens day in and day out is, is really critical. I mean, if, if I expected every day to be exactly the same, I would definitely be in the wrong line of work. So let's talk about this like malleable sense, because this is something that's clearly a common theme of yours since the beginning. And feel free to chime in if that's wrong. But from being a child actor at such a young age to then going to lead like a pretty normal life, like in high school, college, and to like having a career in entertainment and now being a chef, like there needs to be some element of like huge adaptability and malleability and like just really leaning into like your curiosity and going for what feels right instead of following society's conditioning of like what you should be doing. Like I'm sure a lot of people when you were acting as a child, your your colleagues may have like just stayed in the industry because like that's what they're going to be doing, right? So how do you kind of like constantly foster that sense of like adaptability and how did you even get it from the beginning? Like talk us through like early on. The few things that you said, Annabelle, that take me to that point are kind of the curiosity thing. But for me, what I feel, what I've learned about myself 
as I've gotten older and had more experiences and what I've also been told along the way by friends and mentors is when I am passionate about something, when I'm interested in something, I have this burning desire to know everything about it, to go all the way in. I don't really dabble. I got to go a hundred percent. So I started acting when I was eight. That kind of came naturally. Maybe that was a personality thing, but in some ways, when you say it now, I think about it. I wore a lot of different hats as a young kid. I had to learn to play a lot of different roles when at that age, maybe if I wasn't, I would just be learning to play one. So I think it made me more comfortable of having to present a different way, also be around adults that do different things, you know, working in a professional environment until I got to high school and Jasmine and I went to high school together. I stopped acting when I was about 14. You know, it was also a fun extracurricular activity to me. I think at that age, when I started, I never had like these burning career aspirations of like, I'm going to be a famous actor, like win Oscars. And this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. It was like a fun activity I enjoyed. I was good at it. And when it came time to decide, do I want to keep going on auditions or do I want to go to football practice and baseball practice and have a high school experience? I chose that. But growing up in LA, growing up in and around the entertainment business, loving film and TV, and also having a group of friends that also shared those interests and felt like they wanted to go into that world too, kind of led me in that direction too. And so, yeah, when I got to USC, I got an internship right when I started at Lionsgate and I worked there all the way through college, every summer, every semester. Um, I took mostly night classes so that I could work at the movie studio all the time. And that was like another incredible experience. My, I'm my first boss was the head of production of Lionsgate. And she was like an amazing mentor. And I became her assistant when I graduated and we started a small production company, but I had friends at CAA. And I guess in some of the traditional sense of what we talk about with path and success. And, you know, if I wanted to build a career in the entertainment business, people often would say that it's a prerequisite to work at the agency. Now I kind of went there under the auspices of, you know, getting some desk experience for a talent agent, seeing what that was like. And in the beginning, when I was learning all about this environment at this kind of nervous center of the whole industry, I was thriving in it and I loved it. And I had this huge group of people that that company is very much a family it, when you're in the department, when you have friends there. So I, I leaned really far into that too. But eventually I think I, I started to not, like we talked about earlier, feel kind of fulfilled with the day-to-day, how I was interfacing in, with clients and what, what I was doing. I didn't know that if I, I looked out further and looked at my boss's job and how he had his life organized, that if that's how I wanted to build my life in the same way. And so that's, I think, when I, you know, first kind of switched gears to immersive media, I was really interested in what these technologies could do. And I wanted to learn all about them. And it was also kind of like a, an adjacent category. It was like n- not film, but it, it, at the movie studio, it was like close enough where I could kind of like explore that from a vantage point that kind of kept me close to what was familiar. So I didn't just like completely 180, like I ultimately did. Mm -hmm. But at the studio, you know, we were on the bleeding edge of trying to figure out what these emerging technologies were going to do for future entertainment formats and also how they could fit into the existing production pipeline. And it was really, really cool. But again, I sort of had that similar, you know, I learned a lot. I can see what's happening. I could see where the career would go. And, you know, like you and I were talking about earlier, Annabelle, I, 
similarly, I just, I didn't see the fulfillment coming if I stuck with it. I just wasn't there. But food was always an obsession of mine through all of this. Growing up, family dinners, um, my parents instilled a passion for food, even if they, even my mom wasn't a cook, my dad was, uh, is. But um, that's what made me happy, was going to the original Angelini Osteria down the street from the movie studio every single day. And Chef Gino was like, we realized we were just kindred spirits. We, uh, we just clicked. And so when I was seeking that fulfillment, it wasn't coming from work. And we could talk about how some, I think we can get to the point of some people need to find that from work and some don't. They can organize yeah. their life differently, which I learned along the way too. But I connected with this man that was doing what he was clearly born to do and had this, you know, boy wonder passion for it still in his late 60s. And uh, yeah, he kind of encouraged me to do what makes me happy, which led me to kind of leave the studio, kind of turn down an expansion of my role and travel and then end up at cooking school. And here we are. What an incredible journey. It also seems like there were some key mentors and life advisors along the way that really helped shape you from one thing to the next. A hundred percent. I cannot underestimate how much I believe that really good mentorship is really critical to, you know, figuring these things out. And a lot of it is trial and error. And I will say this, a point that I find really important for myself is that we talk about, oh, you 180, you went to something completely different, but skills and things I learned along the way really do play a role in what I do now. I mean, the business development skills that I, that I learned that I had at the studio play into, you know, how I deal with the business and the economic side of my job as a chef, interfacing with clients, you know, I'm in a hospitality business, a, a client facing business. Actually, a lot of my clients are people that I used to work with in entertainment too. So it finds a way to actually really connect and help me. So I look back grateful for all of those experiences because they really do inform my ability to do what I do now. So when people say like, wow, you just took a whole 180 on your career and no, no, no. And like, are you sure you should be doing that? Like when you get that kind of like external, maybe like judgment or mm -hmm. questions, do you feel that same way? Like, do you feel like you're taking a 180 or you're just going after your insatiable curiosity and your playfulness and doing what makes you happy? I mean, in some ways, I think that, sure, there's always that questioning of like, you know, it's in our kind of nature to question like, what are, uh, will other people say or think, especially when relationships and people in your life and uh, how you manage those relationships and foster them and grow them is important. And, you know, how it might impact them if they say, well, he's doing something crazy, you know, crosses my mind. But with that type of decision, I think two things come to mind. One, which is in that case, you kind of have to be selfish if you're trying to like really go after your own happiness. And for me, I knew that like, it was more important that I took a chance and went to go try and find fulfillment for myself or take just to go seek it out. Even if I didn't find it from that, but to do it um, was more important than what someone was going to say about me. Because, you know, wow, he's got this great job at this historic company and, you know, the sky is the limit there. And it was more important that I went and sought out that happiness for me. And two, the other thing is I have to mention, which is I'm really grateful that I, I remember having a conversation with a friend about this too, was when I made that decision to, you know, quit my job and go travel, I did it knowing that I'm very fortunate in my life, my family, that I was never going to end up like on the street, you know, if it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So I had to recognize that. And I feel like it's important to mention it because I felt a little bit, a sense of comfort there knowing like, 
you know, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I have to pivot again. I have to figure or face some challenges. But some of the ones that I think would be way more extreme, um, life-threatening, I, I wasn't concerned that I was going to face. And I'm grateful and very lucky to have had that. Were you always a risk taker? Because it takes a certain courage to be, like what you're describing sounds like, so you're a child actor and you're like, you know what? I love that it was more of an extracurricular for you. It was more playful, just a fun thing you were doing on the side. Because I think that is a fallacy, right? That people... Like some people are good at something at a young age, but it doesn't mean that that's they're what they're meant to be all. doing. Yeah. But then you also hear of chefs who are like, I was cooked since I was seven. Right. You know, that's always, but I think it plays to this greater theme of reinvention in your life and not being afraid to take that step and shed that skin and be like, I'm going to be a normal high school student now. I'm going to move into entertainment in this way now. I'm going to jump and go into cooking. So, was that always a part of you? Were you someone who like, because I know personally, and I don't know if this is something that women do more than men. I noticed that something I do is, is I identify with what I'm doing. And then it becomes hard to detach myself from that. And so I guess I'm just curious if that was something that was always kind of innate within you. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, because I think that's a great question. It's like a lot of us know that we're not fulfilled. That's not the problem. Like we're very self-aware that like maybe like this job isn't cutting for us, but the execution piece, which you've done many times to leave that world and identity and all that and actually switch, that's the part where I think most people have the challenge and, you know, you seem to have kind of just took it in stride and just done it just like, cause it's part of you. Well, thank you. I'm glad that it, it looks that way. <laughs> um, I think that I. Look, I, I like nice things. I like, and I have always identified really closely with what I do. I think in this process, that growth and evolution has helped me understand more of how to have an identity and what I believe in and who I am and how I want to be in the world doesn't have to be one-to-one with my career. And that, you know, my value to myself or in relationships with other people doesn't have to be defined by what I do for a living. And sometimes I would then struggle to connect with others who, where that was the kind of governing factor Mm -hmm. in how they had relationships and friendships. I would say I have, as far as risk-taking goes, I guess in short, I would say I've always sort of valued experience over things you know, and thinking I only get to live, and this is something that has been a project of meditation too, of only getting to live one moment, each moment, one time. And I've always felt like, especially with, you know, that practice and growth is with experiences, like I would go back and more likely regret the chance I didn't take than what I might find along the way with the chance that I did. And maybe it's because some of the careers I had earlier on, maybe my early twenties or how I kind of shifted gears a little bit made me learn that the first step doesn't have to be the last and I'm not locked in. Oh, I I decided to go on to take this road that I can't change it. So I think over time, and, and that's what actually kind of, I think I indicated this a little bit earlier is in, in a conversation with you at some point, Jasmine is that's kind of how I landed with cooking was I knew it was food. I cooked and dabbled and had fun cooking with friends, but I wasn't like 
uh, avid home cook. I was, you know, like we all were in working in entertainment, working around the clock and going out to drinks and dinners and didn't have time to, to do that or didn't make time to do that, I should say. But when I came back from this trip, I also had never really traveled. I had spent all my time in LA, high school, college, work, never taken a vacation. And I booked a one-way ticket to Italy. I went for a few months. And along the way, I realized that if I want to work in food, having an undergraduate, so to speak, education in, in cooking was going to be critical to finding, finding my way in that industry and finding success as I defined it in that industry. And when I got there, it felt very natural and it kind of just snowballed. So I think taking the pressure off and kind of throwing the quote unquote path out the window and just saying, this is my first stop. Maybe I would get in there and like my food would be horrible and cooking wouldn't be for me. Um, but I might learn that the business component of it in the class that I took was something that I wanted to go more from. So I kind of just, instead of like overpressurizing every decision I made as it having to be the right one or having to, you know, reap the rewards that I anticipate it may be having if it goes right. I just kind of said, I have to embrace the trial by fire, the trial and error and go and, and see and explore and see what happens. And that's what kind of led me here. So to go back to try to really answer your question is in terms of taking risks, it made it easier for me and felt like less of a risk when I just recognized that like I could take a step one way, take a step another way, but taking the first step and not having this like analysis paralysis of like, what am I going to do was really, really helpful in making the switch. So you've mentioned your meditation practice. Yeah. Is that something that you've grown to, like you clearly have a growth mindset, yeah. sounds like, which is incredible and obviously really helpful in trying to transcend these like stories you tell yourself. Is it nature or nurture, like even self-nurture? Like, is this something you've grown into where you're starting to shift the way you think about changing careers and making decisions and taking a leap? Or is that something that was, you know, you as a child actor? Like, was that Def always within definitely you? Definitely nurture. Absolutely. Mm. In this case, I, I feel like I, especially younger, I was like gregarious and had crazy amount of energy and kind of needed to find a way to, you know, harness that a little bit even in the way we talk now, I sometimes catch myself and I say, okay, how could I say this more succinctly even, you know, yeah. where I tell a longer story than I, when then in the way that I would like to. But I think that, you know, I'm not going to lie, working in the entertainment business was immensely stressful and I worked at it at the highest level. Mm -hmm. And it was a practice that I started to draw on to help manage stress and manage how I did my job in that. And when I left, especially when I left the, the talent agency, I went through a stage of growth and development where I, I started changing my body composition, a really dedicated exercise practice. And with that came the meditation too. And I think that journey of, to, to go back to your point about identity, when I worked at that agency, in particular, that company at four and a half years, your identity is so intertwined with what you do and working there that it's like you're kind of in or you're kind of on the outside in some ways. And when you're also working so closely to someone at a high level where you have to adapt and kind of think like them and think for them, once you are thinking just for yourself again, that's really challenging. So I think that trying to focus on the things that really fed my soul that were positive for me. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Had a huge impact. And meditation was a really powerful tool to help me do that. So when I left and I was exercising and meditating and kind of trying to like really, I, I, I knew I was, my lifestyle wasn't, wasn't healthy and I wanted to change that for myself. Those were the tools that really helped me get there. And from there, like the consistency of that practice, like it's like a little extra half-life of like a split second to where everything else slows down and you can kind of choose how you want to react or not, or what you want to say or think why, you know, it's been really helpful. Yeah. But it was not something innate. Like it was a practice that I've I've had to stay dedicated to that, you know, even if I'm, like we talked about, busy or whatever it is, I have to make time even for that one minute. And those kind of like habits at the micro level, I think really compound. And that one is, I cannot underestimate too, how important a meditation is to me. 100%. I couldn't agree more. I think it really helps you create a dialogue like with yourself and cut out all the noise and just like lean into your gut. And once you strengthen your like gut connection, it's much easier to make decisions from that place versus the noise. Yep. I think this was in Joe Dispenza's book, but um, one thing he always says, and as we talk about identity, it's like, your identity cannot be something that you did not have your entire life. Like your identities are permanent. So when we say like, oh, like I'm a chef, that's not your identity. That's just like something you do right now. Um, or when you say like, I am a wife. No, like, yeah, you haven't always been a wife. So I think this like common misconception and fallacy again about identities being something that need to be permanent. They don't need to be permanent. And to your trajectory, like how you've, your journey you're, this is like a case in point. Identities don't have to be permanent. You embrace some, you leave some behind, you kind of flow and you evolve. And I think like there's a larger conversation around like, what do we truly mean about like identity and why is it so easy for us to attach ourselves to something external? Because it's much easier also than sitting in stillness and listening to the internal. hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head, Annabelle. I, I think that the deeper work that the hard part is trying to build the identity. Like when I, when I left a career and a, a job and a company that had come to so closely identify with how I identified myself where, you know, and when you try to disconnect from that and the deep work that, you know, I still try to do continuously is to figure out what my sense of well, meditation and self is a whole other thing we could go another rabbit hole we could go down, but <laughs> try to kind of figure out what drives me, what makes me tick that I can separate that doesn't have to be connected to my title or the job that I do is when maybe in those moments where Jasmine, you talked about risk, that moment where I maybe don't feel fulfilled or I feel like I need to switch gears. When I feel more strongly connected to what, you know, blocking out the noise and more closely connected with what I really feel is the clear, you know, voice that's driving me that I really meditation helps me get. I think it makes it a lot easier to switch gears if your identity isn't tied to what that external facing thing is. Who I am is not even defined by being a chef completely. Like 
I, you know, I'm who I am. And what I do right now is I'm a chef and I'm incredibly passionate about it and grateful for the opportunity that I have. And it's been an unbelievable kind of four-year transition from when I left Paramount to, you know, being one year into this restaurant. But to your point earlier, like one of my best friends from college is an attorney. And he always said to me, you should have gone to law school with me. Like I would help edit law papers. I, it's also how my mind works. And I find that really interesting. And who knows, one day I might say, I want to go back to law school. I want to learn this too. I'm open to all of that. To your point about the permanence, like this doesn't have to be my last step either. And I think embracing that has been really helpful in being fulfilled and happy while I'm doing it. That's a muscle you really need to exercise. The ability to be like, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. Yeah. Like, and just to like flow and not attach to two identities. I think we simplify it in how we're talking about it now, but a lot of people have the hardest time leaving something. Like status quo and comfort is comforting. It's exactly um, what it is. Yeah, and I think, well, in a way, it's also kind of not taking life so seriously, right? It's a little bit of like- The playful. Like being able, and as you said, you know, there is a luxury of knowing that you wouldn't starve yeah. Should you do that? And we should, we need to all acknowledge that when you do have that luxury. And I appreciate you for doing so. But yeah, like I think there's a level of like, it's funny because someone once said to me, the fact that you're even having a conversation about fulfillment is in and of itself a privileged conversation. And I don't completely disagree, but I do believe we would be living in a much healthier world and consciousness if all of us were chasing what was within us and innate within us and not afraid to change those things. And I actually think more people would find more success. And that's, you know, I guess success is very broad stroke, but like monetarily to have that comfort. And from within, if you chase what you're really passionate about, right? That's typically what gets you through those tough times. Circling back to what we were saying earlier, yeah, there are admin tasks and managerial tasks that I didn't really know I was signing up for, but ultimately I love what I do. And yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that's a great learning is just knowing that it's, it's okay to walk away from things. And also it's okay, even if you want it to be an actor tomorrow, it sounds like you're like, yeah, well then maybe I would want to do that. And that's really fucking cool. And I think to your point, Annabelle, what's so funny is our identities being so attached to titles, money, whatever it is, what it might look like on the outside, that keeps people in relationships too long. Like that's a part of, you know, it's not just career, it's relationships. It's everything, in friendships. And so many people stay in things that aren't right for them because they're attached to the idea of being married or the idea of being partnered or the idea of being, a you know, whatever that is. So something that's more externally facing. I mean, to your point, Jasmine, I think that there's those more traditional factors of economic or impact or whatever it is that people define success by that lead them to pursue a career that maybe they're not happy doing, but because they make this much money or they, you know, have this kind of notoriety or fame, they continue with it. Mm -hmm. And then they're not fulfilled and happy in it. Even if, you know, it's like you said to me earlier, Annabelle, if you felt like you did something, but you didn't find the fulfillment, even when you check those boxes. To your point, Jasmine, about kind of chasing what really fulfills you. For me, the journey into the food world was one that I, you know, there's always strategy involved, but I said to myself, I'm going to go after what I'm passionate about, what makes me happy and trust that I'm going to find my way. And 
you know, not with a complete leap of faith, but that the dividends, like the, the, the living I need to make is going to kind of come on the back end when I put my passion and, you know, genuine, authentic self into something instead of kind of reverse engineering that and saying, if I, you know, get this job or do this, then I'll have this and then I'll be happy. And also back to what you said, Annabelle, I think that what you talked about, about people staying in careers too long, even when they're, you know, not happy with it. For me, the mindset that helped me a lot, I think I touched on it earlier is, I think there was always this fear of, I wasted those years at that company now. I Mm -hmm. can't get them back. If I don't stick with it now, then all the time I spent the five years at this Mm -hmm. company was all for naught. And what I'm learning from my experience now is that that's just not true. So when I kind of disconnected from holding on to that and said, well, it's not a waste because the people that I met in that world at that company, how I interface with them applies to what I do now. It's found a way to be valuable. So I think taking the experiences that I've had and looking more positively, like, okay, how can this have impact for where I want to go now, as opposed to if I do something different now, this time is all wasted. And what will people outside think of me without this title and this company behind me was liberating. Yeah. Everything in our life is a stepping stone to get to somewhere else. And you may not realize what you learned from your last thing until like you're further down your next thing. But there are so many learnings intertwined along the way that help you get to the next stage. I completely agree. I want to touch on something that Jasmine mentioned about relationships, because I think in addition to you switching, you know, careers so many times, I want to understand your relationships along the way, like friendships, like whether it's, you know, with um, co-stars in your show or people in high school not really understanding what you were doing or people in your agency world being like, why are you leaving to become a chef to just like leave and go to Italy? Like, how is the dynamic between your relationships along the way? And did you also have this sense of like impermanence and things are temporary as it relates to relationships as well as it relates to career aspects? That is a tough question to answer. I think that in two ways I can answer. One, which is to say, I hold my relationships in such high regard, such value. I think meaningful connections with people and deep relationships that you build in your lifetime is one thing that is a huge component of living a long and happy life. And I believe that there's science behind that too. I think that I've always along the way tried to recognize that if you're on your way up, so to speak, if you're coming back down, how you treat that person on the way up is you know, how they might treat you when you need them on the way down. I think that that's where we talk about mentorship. I've always relished the opportunity to work with people in a younger cohort than me or, you know, doing that assistant job when I did the trainee program and helping that guide them to go after and get what they want. So I think that for me, like from a personality standpoint, I, if to a fault, derive a huge amount of value and fulfillment from my relationships and the quality of them. I feed off of it. So that's why, you know, Gino Angelini being a mentor and a friend has been so hugely impactful for me because it's been like absolutely incredible to find someone who you just see things the same way as who has fostered such growth in me and been so supportive of me and giving me an opportunity to represent his life's work and the expansion of it and put my own recipes alongside it is like the honor of a lifetime. I think that in the industries that I've worked in, more generally speaking, it's a challenging one because those businesses that I worked in sort of require you to kind of 
really think about how people in the positions they are, how they can impact and help you in your career. There's this like, you know, you're doing a favor. I'm doing a favor because I know you, I can get this. And I think that those professional relationships, in my experience, sometimes for me, how, how I'm built made it hard for me when like, if those things changed and then those relationships were impermanent, it frustrated me because I was always approaching them genuinely. It didn't matter to me what that person did or what their status was. If that person was my friend, it wasn't just because they were like a friend because, you know, we worked at the same company together. And I pay really close attention to the ones that through that have sustained. I think one other thing I've learned is over time, we get older, we have more responsibilities or we have families or, you know, our careers and our, like my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I work nights. My work schedule is the opposite of most of the people I hold dearest in my life. So what I've had to really remind myself, and as you said, Annabelle, kind of continuously work out this muscle is that if I don't see my best friend every weekend, like we used to when we were younger, and I see him less often, it doesn't make our friendship less closer. We speak less too. So I think I paid a lot of attention to that over the years too, of like being able to spend less time with some of my friends doesn't make them any less of my friends. And it just, over time, when there's less time to go around, makes me more conscientious of where I put the time in. So, but do you feel though that those relationships that you mentioned since you were a kid, some of these friendships, like they were able to evolve with you throughout all of these different chapters? A lot of them. Yeah. I mean- that's like a huge blessing because I think sometimes, you know, you have certain friends for certain aspects and it's okay. Friendships can be temporary too. Yeah. And they, people come in and out of your life. But it's it's really nice to hear you also have some like, you know, consistent- I have some great friends that I've been friends with for, you know, 20 years now. Who have supported you through each Always. journey. Always been there. And I'm immensely grateful for that. I think um, you touched on it earlier, Jasmine, too, though, is, um, you know- the way you teed up this subject to discuss is like staying in relationship for too long with people when you kind of know they're not right or they're not fulfilling you, you're, you're in, they're hurting you. And I think that that happens along the way, you know, relationships, people evolve, other people evolve. You can't control them, how they think, how they feel, how they value your friendship or your professional, you know, relationship with them. And sometimes you kind of got to look inward if that person is letting you down or recognize that, you know, maybe we've grown in a different direction. And, you know, we don't see things the same way or value things the same way. And, and that's okay. But, um, it informs how I'm going to make that effort and organize my time. And I'm going to put it in where I think that I can a like really enrich the life of that person and b also like, you know, have it impact me in a positive way too. I love that you've used this word enrich a few times. And I don't think about that word often, but in a very astute way. It's not just like, I want to enrich the lives of others, but you really bring it back to yourself too. Because a lot of this is listening to yourself and listening to your inner boundaries and knowing when to leave something. And yeah, I just really appreciate that. Like, it's not just about, I think we can get caught up in what other people are doing, how other people are feeling, what other people need. And it sounds like you've managed to, at least right now, achieve some sort of balance between the two. Well, thank you. I think Part of that comes from me for the mindset of like, you know, not knowing that I can't really control others is like, how do I make my energy and what I want contagious? How do, how do I put out what I want to get back? Because that's really mostly what I can control and what I can do. And so I think that if I'm kind of focusing on saying, 
you know, on, on what I can do to be myself and who I want to be and, you know, be that way with other people. I think that like that tends to attract back what you want. And I notice that in times of challenge in my life too, if I don't feel that way, there's a reverberation, like it, there's a kind of a mirror there that comes and that's really hard. Like that's another muscle that I'm constantly exercising is like, how do I continue to stay true to myself? And I, I go back to my, my first boss, her name was Allison Shermer. She was the head of production at Lionsgate. She was a force of nature and she was notorious for being a tough, tough, tough boss. It was like, I watched Devil Wears Prada and I was like, that's my life, except uh, how, am, how is she up from her desk this much? But on the flip side though, she was the realest mentor. She, aside from assistant, like she taught me how to be a young man in the entertainment business. I grew up 19 to 22 with her guiding me. And I'm immensely grateful for what I've learned from her and the experience, the opportunities she gave me. She passed away, I think five or six, five years ago now from cancer. And she was a force of nature. She was someone who I remember we all had a, we got together. And even if I didn't, regardless of her position and what she did, and if I ever needed her, I called her when I was at the, after I left working for her, she was on the phone. She was there. When my parents moved to the other side of the country, she said, are you neat? I said, yeah. She said, if you need a room, you can live in my house. Like she was that kind of person. And I'll never forget because they're kind of become words that you know, kind of define how I think about some of the things we're talking about is we had like a a dinner where people in her life that were close to her all got together and her husband read, she had like a kind of time and place journal and she wrote in her last journal entry, I'm grateful for life, underline life. I choose happiness, underline choose. And I remember her husband reading those words of hers. And I remember like in that time where you know, at that moment for her, which is unimaginable, that's where her head was. That's what she was thinking. And I think about that choice and that gratitude all the time. And those words in my moments of like challenge or where I'm feeling doubt or where I'm feeling unfulfilled, I kind of remember that gratitude for the one life I have and the choice that I need to make to kind of make it what I want to be or to, to, to be happy to choose that. And that connects with meditation for sure too. And I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to share that because her her words that were read to me posthumously coupled with, you know, how she mentored me as a a young man were hugely, I still remain hugely impactful. Years later, I think about her, what she wrote every single day. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think it just goes back to the simplicity of life. We just, we get to choose. And we get to focus on gratitude. It is our choice to stay in a job that's unfulfilling. It is our choice to be married to someone for too long and being unhappy. We always make up excuses that we can't make a change because this and this. But at the end of the day, it's still a choice. It's a choice to keep going. Um, when you feel trapped life. in the relationships, like yeah. you said. You feel yeah. like, you know, I, I'm wasting the time. It's like you, if, it can feel like you are trapped. But yeah. in the end of the day, there is still always a choice. A choice. Yeah. Even uh, if it's just the choice that you make for your mindset, how you approach it, even if the actual mechanics of getting out of a relationship or unraveling yes. something in business require additional steps in time, like the choice you make every day of how you approach that for me is positive. like the, the first is that's the first step. Well, I was going to ask you, we don't have much time left, but I was going to ask you before we wrap up, 
do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Like, do you tie yourself to, because you, it sounds like you have, and again, talk about identity. You don't need to identify as that, but it sounds like you do have a rhythm of your own that's allowing you and guiding you and making these choices and kind of sifting through. There's some introspection here. And I guess I'm just curious, like what, you know, aside from meditation alone, like what that looks like. Cause even the idea of putting out what you receive, you know, I don't know. It's really interesting. I think my answer is that I don't know. I think it's almost like my first instinct is to say, not necessarily even religiously focused, but agnostic in the sense that I want to feel that connectivity, that spirituality. I'm stuck at the inflection point of like logic and everything else. And it makes me think about a book that I read and listened to, Michael Pollan's book, uh, How to Change Your Mind. And that book had a big impact and subsequent experiences made me think about that a lot. So I think that's an, a question I'm still asking myself too. Um, Did you do a journey? A little bit. And in, you know, interconnected experiences with friends and people that are important to me and, you know, feelings after that. And yeah, I, I go back to that. And I think that it's like, I guess I remember this, something he said in the book, which was something that was like opening your accounts up with reality a little bit. Like, I think I'm trying to keep my account open. Like I haven't decided yet exactly what that Mm -hmm. is. And it's funny because you say you haven't decided what that is. It's like, it seems like in everything in your life, like today it's being a chef that makes you happy. Like tomorrow could be going to law school, right? You're just very open-minded to what life is. And I think that's great like lesson for, for a lot of people. So we end every podcast asking the name of our podcast. What's the point? What is your why? How do you live your life? Man, I think we just spent like the past almost hour talking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I, I guess at the, the end of the last kind of topic, I made me think about how I recognize in myself that when I'm growing, when I'm learning, when I'm having new experiences, I feel the most alive. So I think between what I do, what I can learn, the people I can connect with, for me, like that is what makes me feel alive and who makes me feel alive and how to be grateful for the one life I have and continuously try to make the choices to enrich that of mine and and others is kind of how I feel about it. That's kind of how, that's my answer. That's beautiful. A great answer. Well, thank you so much, Thank Matt. you. We so appreciate your so time. Um, so I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Thank, thank you. you. Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at Aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period.